It's a joy to be with you all this morning. Thank you for having me here, Ken. Thank you for being so welcoming already this morning. It's, uh, it's a privilege to be able to travel just around this country, but to travel around the world and seeing like-minded churches and to worship the same Jesus together on Sunday morning. And well, the time zone difference, so eight hours ago, but the same day right now in Addis Ababa, there's a church worshiping Jesus, the same Jesus you all are worshiping, singing the same songs, hearing the same gospel. Isn't that an amazing thought? The churches around the world who love and know Jesus, just like you all do here, and preach the same gospel that you all do here. And to be part not just of the same worshiping community that loves and knows Jesus, but we've the same family of churches, the same denomination, is a special joy to be with you all this morning. But thank you. Thank you for how welcoming you've been. Thank you for your love for Christ. Thank you for love for his church. And to the new members this morning, what a privilege to stand here and watch you all be joined to this body. And it's a special joy to be with you all this morning also because your region of churches, so I'm sure most of you know, has given us a generous gift to continue our work in Addis Ababa. And you all, your faithful giving on Sunday mornings made that possible. Because you all have been faithful in giving on Sunday mornings, you are actually making this work of church planting and training pastors all the way across the world possible because of your faithfulness. Thank you for being a part of that. Would you turn with me in your Bibles in the Old Testament to the book of Habakkuk? The book of Habakkuk. We're looking at chapter 2 this morning. Now, if it were me, I would not turn to Habakkuk first, I'd probably turn to the first page of my Bible and look at that table of contents. Because <laughs> you very rarely hear that turn to Habakkuk. It's near Daniel, where you all have been hanging out for some time. It's a few pages over. But the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, we're looking specifically at verses 12 through 14 this morning. You might be first concerned when you hear the guest preacher say, turn to Habakkuk, you'll be even more concerned to find the first word <laughs> is the word whoa. <laughs> but believe me, it gets to missions quickly. I'm excited to encourage you all. Let's pray, and then we'll read this text together. Lord, thank you that your spirit is present with us, that you love us, that your gospels conquering the world with the love of Christ. We get to be a small part of that. Would you, Spirit, be with us this morning? Would you fill me so that I might properly proclaim your gospel? Would you till hearts, till my own heart, that we might be receptive to hear your gospel preached? And as was said in the book of Ephesians, Christ came and preached to them. Would that be our experience this morning? That Christ himself would come even now and preach the gospel to our hearts because we are dead inside apart from you. We are hard-hearted apart from you and we need that powerful word himself to come, to descend, and to preach. 
that word to us. Would that be our experience this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's read together Habakkuk 2, verses 12 through 14. This is the word of God. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that the peoples labor merely for fire and the nations weary themselves for nothing? Verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The prophet Habakkuk wrote these words amid confusing and discouraging and troubling times. The Lord had just revealed to him that a ruthless and hostile nation, Babylon, would soon be invading his homeland of Judah. What a terrifying thought. Can you imagine being told that about our own country? Habakkuk describes for us how he felt in chapter 3, verse 16, when he says this, I hear my body trembles, my lips Quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, and my legs tremble beneath me. Then soon, as reality sunk in further for this prophet, his, question, or his trembling lips turned into questioning lips. As he looked towards the heaven, and out of confusion and frustration, we hear these words recorded by him, as he says to God, Why do you look idly? Why do you remain silent? As we reflect on these words of Habakkuk, written 2,600 years ago, aren't we struck by how relevant they seem to us today? We live in a world where war and division and corruption seems to be the norm. We see more hate, hurt, and pain than peace and love and goodwill toward men, do we not? We have far more questions than we have answers, all of us. As we read this text, we're reminded that these struggles are far from new. In the same way that Habakkuk faced the looming threat of Babylon, we too are confronted with the reality of a hostile world that hates Christ and his kingdom. And this is why the New Testament authors use the picture of ancient Babylon to describe the world, worldliness, those who care about their own glory in this world and not the glory of Christ. And this striving for human glory and human fame is something that God hates at the core of his being. And he will not allow those who seek to make a name for themselves in this world to stand. And that's why chapter 2 is filled with these judgment oracles against wicked, proud Babylon. Because God alone is worthy of glory and honor and praise and he will have no rivals. So these judgment oracles, they, they're not intended to bring harm or confusion. They're actually intended to comfort, to comfort Habakkuk because they reminded him in his day and they remind us by extension in our day that despite the hardships and the struggles that we face, God is not silent like Habakkuk accused him of being. He's not ignorant of the sufferings of his people or the wicked people who cause those sufferings and oppose us. In the midst of our struggles, he is still the God who shows steadfast love to his people. And he never lets the guilty go unpunished. 
He knows that the kingdom of Christ is often and seemingly always under assault by the kingdom of man. And he sees it. He hears it. And he will act to bring an end to the sin and injustice that stand against him and against his kingdom. And why will he do that? The answer is found in verse 14. God has determined that his glory and not the glory of man, will fill his earth. Do you see the connection there? The enemies of God may rage, but his people need not fear. Why is that? Because the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We need not fear because God's kingdom will win. Martin Luther put it like this, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. And given our specific emphasis on missions this morning, we could say it like this. God comforts his people in the midst of severe opposition with the promise of the success of international missions. God comforts his people in the midst of severe opposition with the promise of the success of international missions. He says, don't Fear Babylon, because the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And when God comforts and encourages Habakkuk, he gives him this glorious vision of the future, and that gives Habakkuk a profound hope in the present. And this hope has sustained Christians throughout church history in the darkest and most discouraging of times. The kings and the kingdoms of this earth will rise and fall Political parties will come and go. Economic hardships will ebb and flow. And all the while, God and his purposes stand unfazed. Because his kingdom will win. So we need not fear. Though the earth gives way, and though the mountains be thrown into the heart of the sea. This is how God encourages Habakkuk, and it's how God encourages us today. In these ancient, but yet all too relevant words, Habakkuk records for us, our compassionate Father is drawing near to us in our suffering. He's drawing near to us in our confusion and drawing near to us in our hurt. You notice that connection even in the song this morning. You're sovereign over us. You are faithful in love. That's the good news, is that the sovereign God is also the loving, compassionate Father who draws near to us and works for our good in suffering. And we may not always be able to understand God's sovereign purposes in history, but we can always be confident of this, my brothers and sisters. No matter how dark the night, our God rules over the nations of men, and he is working all things to build his eternal kingdom for his glory and our good. Babylon will fall. The kingdom of man will fall. And the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We can hold on to that promise in the darkest of times. So as we consider this text together this morning, let's reflect on both of these kingdoms. This kingdom of man and this kingdom of Christ. After we finish looking at verses 12 through 14, we're going to end up looking back further in the chapter to explore how we can make these truths more applicable and practical to our lives. And this is my prayer as we do it, that God would encourage our hearts with this truth. The kingdom of man may rage strongly against us, but God in his ways and his purposes and his gospel will ultimately win. 
So let's look first and consider together the kingdom of man in verses 12 through 13. Let's read these again. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that the peoples labor merely for fire and the nations weary themselves for nothing? You see how Babylon is described here? They build their nations on the blood in the backs of others. They use others to their own advantage and to accomplish their own selfish ends with no regard for the safety or well-being of others. They're violent and they're oppressive. The kingdom of man builds in this world in a way that's foundationally selfish. That's what that means. Their motto is, my kingdom come, my will be done, and if you stand in my way, you'll be crushed. Does that sound familiar? We see this clearly in our text, but it's made even more explicit if we look back at chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, when it says this describing Babylon. He drags them out with a hook. He drags them out with a net. He gathers them in with his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. For by them he lives in luxury, and his food is made rich. Habakkuk 1, 15 through 16. What's described here is disturbing. You see, to show their dominance over the nations that they conquered, Babylon would take their captives and put a fish hook in their mouths and out their nose and drag them back to Babylon. And what future awaited these slaves, these captives? They would be used to build Babylonian homes and the Babylonian empire. It was indeed an empire built on blood and iniquity. And as they did this with one nation, after the next, after the next, their true intention was revealed. They were not content with a small territory to call their own. No, they had their eyes set on world domination. Consider Habakkuk 2.4, describing Babylon once again. His greed is wide as Sheol. Like death, he never has enough. He gathers to himself all nations. He collects for his own all people. It's like death that swallows up all people until every person feels his power. So wicked Babylon seeks to spread his kingdom across the whole earth, extending to all peoples, conquering every nation because the greed of the kingdom of man can never be satisfied. Let that sink in. And may we not be caught up in that same greed. Because ironically, hear this from verse 13, ironically, while Babylon, while the kingdom of man seeks to establish for themselves peace and security by extending their rule, we find in 2.13 that their labors are futile because the Lord is not in their labors. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that the peoples merely labor for fire, and the nations weary themselves for nothing? You see, from Babylon's perspective, their security was being established. An impressive nation was being built. But from God's perspective, he looked down on that exact same nation from his throne in heaven, and he was by no means impressed. He saw not glory and splendor, which is what Babylon saw. He looked at that same nation, and he saw bloodshed and iniquity. Because ultimately the efforts of the kingdom of man to make a name for themselves in this world will come to an abrupt and a sudden end. All of the selfish, self-promoting, self-advancing, self-glorifying works done in this world will be for nothing. 
And so it is with all the works done for the glory of man. It comes to nothing and ends in nothing. And why is this? Verse 14. The Lord is jealous for his glory. And he won't share his glory with anyone else. So let's look now at verse 14 as we consider first it was the kingdom of man. Now let's consider the kingdom of Christ. It says this, For this earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Those who rage against Christ and his kingdom will not stand because the Lord will ensure that his kingdom will fill his earth. Let's consider further the description of this kingdom. First, the nature of this kingdom. You see it? This kingdom is characterized by the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That is, the Lord will not only be known about, but he will be known for who he truly is. He will be known in his glory. The word that's used here for know, it speaks of intimate, close knowledge, of covenant knowledge, of the, the nearness of the most intimate of companions. That's the knowledge of God that will fill his earth. But, but do you see what it is about the Lord that will be known here? What's predicted? It's not just abstract knowledge. It's particular knowledge. It's knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Surely in Habakkuk's mind was... The splendid reality of the glory of the Lord that the Israelites saw in the wilderness. With that pillar of fire by night. And you wonder, is God with us? Is God with his people? Oh, you need no look no further than that right there. We know he's with us. How do we know? You see that pillar of fire by day and that smoke by night? The opposite. <laughs> or in the temple, when the cloud was so thick. The, the, the priests couldn't even enter into it. The glory of the Lord that was there. That's what's described here. Direct contact with the very presence of God. The knowledge of the Lord that only being in His very presence and splendor and majesty can bring close and intimate companionship with Him and His ways and His character. That's what will fill the earth. This intimate knowledge of God, where is it felt and known for us today? Not in a temple in Jerusalem, but in the one who has revealed God himself to us. It's written in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? What's been revealed to us? The knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And where? In Christ himself. The fullness of God's presence and person and glory is seen not in a temple in the Middle East is what that means. But in the true and better temple of Jesus Christ himself who is God with us. So that we might know the true goodness of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord in his person and gospel. The gospel which proclaims the good news to us that although we once labored for our own glories in this world, although we were once like Babylon and we deserved Babylon's judgment, Jesus Christ came to earth to take that judgment for us. It's the good news that these woes should be said over us. Because we have used others for our own selfish ends, have we not? But Christ himself who came, not to be served, but to serve, gave his life as a ransom for many, and we are among that many. 
It's the good news that God has mercifully and graciously rescued us out of the kingdom of man and placed us into the kingdom of his dear son. And he's changed us from people who seek our own glory in this world to people who say, not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to your name be the glory. Psalm 115.1. So if we read this text with New Testament glasses on, we can't help but see that Habakkuk in this passage predicts a day when the gospel of Jesus Christ is known and believed on throughout the whole world. But that's not all that's said here. Not only are we given a description of the kingdom of Christ, but we're also told the extent of the kingdom of Christ. Do you see it? The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. What's the extent of this kingdom? It's throughout the earth. And not just here and there throughout the earth, but fully every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation will be filled with the knowledge of Christ. And as if this language weren't explicit enough for us, he uses a picture to etch it into our minds further. It's like the way the waters cover the sea. So the earth will be covered and filled and submerged with the knowledge of Christ. This is what it means. The God who was known in Israel would not just be known in Israel. That's what this prophecy means. The glory of the Lord which Moses saw and experienced on top of Mount Sinai when he felt and known on every mountaintop on earth as men and women are brought face to face with the glory of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Babylon tried to do this, but Christ will do this. Actually, if we take a step back and we further look at these two kingdoms, we see that Babylon, which was here today and gone tomorrow, a speck in the timeline of history, served as nothing more than a foil for the kingdom of Christ. A cruel and twisted parody of his kingdom, as do all expressions of the kingdom of men. So much of this language in this text is turned on its head when we consider its fulfillment in Christ and the church. You see, because in a complete reversal of Babylon's cruelty, Christ also calls us to be fishers of men, does he not? But in a radically different way than Babylon was. We call men and women away from their slavery and away from their striving and to the one who says, come to me and I will give you rest. The kingdom of man may pull in men like a dragnet, but the kingdom of Christ, what is said of it? It is like a dragnet that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind until it was full. Matthew 13, 47. As Christ brings into his kingdom a vast multitude that no one can count and no person can number, we see that even the terrifying description of Babylon is gloriously true in Jesus Christ. He gathers to himself all nations, and he collects for his own all people. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord that was felt and known in Israel will not just be felt and known in Israel, but in Moscow, and Beijing, and Berlin, and just an hour or so away in Washington, D.C., if you can believe it, and New Delhi, and Istanbul, and Bangkok, and Havana, and Warsaw, and Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Do you believe that? And what's our confidence that this will happen? This kingdom will fill the earth because it's not built on the blood of slaves and iniquity, but upon the blood of Christ and his righteousness. 
that blood of Christ, which is so precious. It has purchased men and women from all around the world. It's so precious in the sight of God the Father that victory is certain. The kingdom of man may rage and plot against the kingdom of Christ, but it will not win because this is not a battle between two equal kingdoms. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Psalm 115, 2. And what does our God please? That the lamb who was slain would receive the full reward of his suffering. A blood-bought bride made up of men and women from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So let us say with the psalmist, Psalm 72, 19, Blessed be his glorious name, and may the whole earth be filled with his glory. <coughs> this vision encourages us, doesn't it? But it also confronts us. Because don't we feel keenly like Habakkuk that this vision has not been fulfilled yet? As many of us know, it's all too common here in the U.S. for people to know about God, but not to know God himself. That's true in the international church as well. A recent study found that Ethiopia, would you believe this, Ethiopia, is the most religious country in the world. More so than Middle Eastern countries, more so than India, more so than Israel. But another recent study suggests this, that only 3% of people in Addis Ababa truly know and understand the gospel. So let that sink in for a moment. In the capital city of the most religious nation on earth, 97% of people are headed to a Christless eternity. The Ethiopian Orthodox Church is present throughout our city, where men and women, much like Catholic Church here, hear the name of Jesus, but not the gospel of Jesus. As for the Protestant church, there's, they're more enslaved to the false teaching of the prosperity gospel. One evening I was teaching at a local Bible college there. There's a man who began having an epileptic seizure in the middle of my class. I was prompted by other students to go ahead and continue. This was normal. I spoke to him afterwards and said, are you okay? And he said, oh, this is, I've had these since birth. And then he looked at me through eyes of confusion and pain, and he said this, God lied to me. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, an apostle, a false apostle, said to me that the reason I'm still sick is because I haven't exercised enough faith. And what God wants me to do is sell everything I have and give the money to him, and then I'll be healed. My friends, this is not the exception to the Protestant church in Ethiopia. It's the norm. And even the most religious nation on earth, there are people like Paul described in Romans 9. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. The Lord says that this isn't enough. He will not only be heard of, he must be known. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, but we're not there yet. So may all of Ethiopia and all of the world know the true gospel. And then may they join in with Job and say this, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ears, but now my eyes see. So what do we do? How do we live now? How do we live as those who desire and pray for Christ's kingdom to come, but like Habakkuk are aware of the many ways in which it has not come yet? For the answer to that question, let's look back in the chapter, verses 2 through 4. The Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. 
For the vision still awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous will live by faith. Amen. So the simple answer is this. We live by faith. We live a life of undisturbed confidence in the God who always accomplishes his will. It's a life of faithful and steady confidence and sure conviction that the Lord and his purposes and his kingdom will win no matter how strongly the enemy may rage. It's a life of inner stability in the midst of outer chaos. And part of faith is believing that the Lord is accomplishing his purposes in the world even when current events seem to deny it. Even when it seems impossible and even when it feels like the enemy is winning, the life of faith stands unmoved because faith is the evidence of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1 1. Well, what does it look like? What does it look like in the day today? What does it look like to live this life of faith? I think these verses give us two principles. Two principles that will help us. The life of faith works faithfully for the kingdom's progress and waits patiently for the kingdom's fullness. The life of faith works faithfully for the kingdom's progress and waits patiently for the kingdom's fullness. Or put simply, we work faithfully and we wait patiently. We work faithfully, and we wait patiently. First, we work faithfully. The Lord answered me, verse 2. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it. The Lord gave this vision to Habakkuk. He wanted the vision to be clear, easy to read, easy to remember, and easy to repeat. And why is that? Because he wanted the person who read it to be able to run with it. The Lord wanted this message to spread from person to person and house to house and city to city and nation to nation. How? By people who heard the message and ran with it. People like you and me. People who love the Lord's message and share it. People who sit down with their friends and loved ones and just simply say, I've got something I, I need to tell you. Jesus died for sinners. And this might be the closest we get in the Old Testament to what will later become, go and disciple the nations. Matthew 28, 19. Run with it. So we must labor. We must get our hands dirty. We must work for the spread of the kingdom in this world with confident assurance and unshakable faith that the Lord will be victorious. When the missionary William Carey argued in the late 1700s for the importance of international missions, there was a man present in the room who stood up and said this, Young man, sit down. You're an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do so without consulting you or me. Of course, we hear that and we find that hard to believe that anyone would actually say that, but do we sometimes live our lives as if that's true? Do we pray for and desire the conversion of our neighbors and family members without ever sharing the gospel with our neighbors and family members? God's kingdom will win. But we must be at work for the spread of it. 
Brothers and sisters, we are members of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So let's labor for it with unshakable faith. It's the kingdom of man that's laboring for nothing, not us. When true confidence of the success of the kingdom of Christ sets in, the result is always faith in the gospel in the midst of impossible circumstances. John Knox recorded this in his journal when he came to preach the gospel at Newcastle. I was surprised. So much drunkenness, cursing, and swearing, even from the mouths of little, little children. Do I never remember to have seen and heard before in such a small compass of time? Surely this place is ripe for him who came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He records later in that same journal, God did so multiply our numbers that it appeared as if men had rained from the clouds. My friends, God the Father said to his son, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the end of the earth your possessions. And God the Son didn't forget to ask. No, he asked, and the Father gave him the world. And that promise was drive us to evangelism. Because no matter what we may hear, Christ's church is not on the wrong side of history. And the message of Christ and his, him, him crucified will be the final word that this world hears. So let us share that message with certain confidence that Christ will win. After about a decade of preparing to move to the mission field, my family was sent out from Sovereign Grace Church in Louisville to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. We sold nearly everything we owned, and we packed our lives down to seven 50-pound bags. You can go to the next slide. And we flew across the world to start new lives in a new country. We went with two goals in mind. Number one, we wanted to help plant a church right in the capital city of Ethiopia. And number two, we wanted to establish a pastor's college to train the next generation of Ethiopian pastors to lead church plants we'd be sending out. Or to put, simply, put it simply, we moved to Ethiopia to plant churches and to train pastors. And thanks be to God, we didn't go alone when we were sent out from our church. You can go to the next one. We were sent out with two other families from our church in Louisville. We started with just 15 people meeting in the Granger's living room on Sunday mornings. We'll be in a short sermon series through Romans 3, just asking a simple question. What is the gospel? A question that, though simple, was radical in our context. And as we were preaching this simple gospel message, the church continued to grow. And we, we soon outgrew the Granger's living room and we moved to a local movie theater, large enough to seat around 75 people. We began a sermon series to the book of Philippians, just further exploring the goodness of the gospel and its practical implication to our lives, and people kept coming. And the church continued to grow, and we felt the need for a new building, so just before our first anniversary, we held our first membership Sunday, and 70 people joined the church. And while we're meeting here today, Trinity Fellowship just had its second membership Sunday, where they added yet another 30 to the membership just in time for our second anniversary. And as we were conducting membership interviews, and as we were hearing how people were converted, we kept hearing this over and over and over again. I have never heard before that Jesus died for my sins. 
And as the church continued to grow, we noticed that God was bringing to us an unusual amount of young men who desired to be pastors. And so, in September of 2021, we began the Trinity Fellowship Pastors College to train the next generation of Ethiopian pastors for gospel-centered ministry, where they go through a full curriculum of seminary studies in the course of a year. They went through 41 one-week block courses, went through Greek, elementary, and beginning of syntax, was taught by authors and theologians, world-renowned authors and theologians, professors from five different continents, over 20 professors from our own denomination coming and teaching. I'd love to introduce you to just some of them. You can go to the next slide. Let me introduce you to Muhammad. He's in the back row. It's not his actual name. He's a Somali believer. Now, as I'm sure some of you know, Somalis are 99.9% Muslim, so he's a walking miracle. He's been in prison 14 times for preaching the gospel. He's a current ministry of organizing Somali believers into churches and mobilizing evangelistic efforts towards Muslims. He desires to continue to help strengthen the Somali church in Addis and eventually return to Somalia with a partner to help establish a healthy Somali church. In the back row, third from the right, is Amani. Amani gave up a promising career at Ethiopian Airlines, the largest airline on the continent, to come to our church and pastor's college and to fully invest in it, and indeed he has. In addition to his studies, Amani has preached several times at Trinity Fellowship. He assists Michael regularly in counseling meetings. He's a gifted preacher and a compassionate counselor. We hope to ordain Amani sometime later this year. And he hopes to lead a church plant out of Trinity Fellowship in the upcoming years. Sammy is in the back row in the far left. He's one of our brightest. He desires to pursue further theological studies and is already applying for MTH programs. That's pre-PhD programs. After that, he hopes to teach at our pastor's college where he might invest more fully into the future of pastors in Ethiopia long term. Yebsaga is in the front row, second from the left. He's also theologically sharp. He won our academic award when graduating with a 3.99 GPA, and I was not an easy grader. <laughs> he desires both the church plant and to start a theological training center among unreached people groups in the Horn of Africa. Abenezer, or Abi as we call him, back row, second from the left. He won our leadership award at graduation. He's been serving as the worship leader at Trinity Fellowship since we began. And the pastor's college greatly strengthened him, both in his theological precision and his pastoral ability. And he will continue leading worship for us on Sundays, but he also wants to produce gospel-centered music in Amharic, the local language. And he wants to make them easy to sing and so impact the Ethiopian church at large. My friends, Aslan is on the move. His kingdom is coming, and it's worth giving our lives for. Thanks for showing those pictures. That's not all this passage leaves us with. This passage comforts us with promises of victory, but it also consoles us when victory seems so far off. Not only do we work faithfully, but secondly, we wait patiently. For still this vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie, and if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. See, the Lord knows our impatience. He knows our tendencies towards discouragements when things don't work, work out like we had hoped for, or in the ways that we had hoped for them. 
or in the timing that we had hoped for them. And the longer we live, the slower it seems. But these verses give us confidence that though the spread of Christ's kingdom in this world be slow, it will not be late. And like Gandalf, it arrives precisely when it means to. When it says it hastens to the end, we're meant to feel here a sense of urgency. The prophecy it wants to be fulfilled is even more explicit in the original. We, we could translate it like this. It pants for the end or it breathes for the end. There's a sense of longing for this prophecy to be fulfilled in the prophecy itself. Intending to show us God's own certain desire that his kingdom will come. Did you know he shares that with us? And he wants it more than we do. His kingdom will come. And as Calvin said in his commentary on this text, God will not disappoint you. So if it seems slow, wait for it. Don't lose heart. When you see one wave of economic troubles after another, with a tsunami seeming to loom upon us in the future. When your family is struck with illness time and time again. When there's endless streams of corrupt politicians and corrupt policies. When you're just too weary to get out of bed. When there's one war after another, and again our expectations crumble beneath us. We feel like we're left alone on the cold floor. The rug swept out from under us. Don't be discouraged. Keep laboring. Keep waiting. In our zeal for the kingdom to come, let us not forget the words of our Lord. It's like a mustard seed planted in the ground. And trees take a long time to grow. But it does grow. It will come. And despite humble beginnings and despite human estimations, the kingdom of God will grow and grow and grow until the truth becomes clear. The kingdom of God is the most significant reality in all the world, and it will become the dominating force in world history. So weary Christian, let this truth sink down into your souls. God will win. The life of faith works faithfully and waits patiently. Yes. And holding these two realities in check protects us from the dual traps of naive optimism and nihilistic pessimism. Because it's very easy to fall into one ditch or the other. After working and waiting in India for five and a half years, William Carey saw his first conversion. Five and a half years. And on the eve of that Convert's baptism, he wrote these words in his journal. He was only one, but a continent was coming behind him. <laughs> Divine grace, which changed one Indian's heart, could obviously change a hundred thousand. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That is enough. We can afford to work in faith, for omnipotence has pledged to fulfill this promise. The seed being sown is the least of all the seeds, but it will grow into a mighty tree. And this ending of the quote should ring true in your minds as you're studying Daniel. It was, as it were, a small stone cut out of the mountain, but it will fill the whole earth. That's the model of working faithfully and waiting patiently. For us, last year, on October 31st, Trinity Fellowship celebrated our one-year anniversary. It was our largest Sunday to date. 
our pastor's college had just started, and it seemed like we were in the middle of an unstoppable gospel movement. And the very next day, we heard some very different news. A town around 100 miles outside of Addis Ababa had been captured by rebel forces in Ethiopia's long-standing civil war. Now, we were told to brace for invasion and civil unrest. And the next Sunday, our numbers were cut in half. And the next Sunday, our numbers were cut in half again. And in all of this, my family had visa difficulties that didn't allow us to be in Addis Ababa. And one of our pastor's college students said, said this during that time. It really felt like God was doing something. But now it seems he's working to undo everything he built. These were dark days. These were dark times. And what kept us going through those dark nights were these truths from Habakkuk, that even when we don't see it, the kingdom of Christ is moving forward. And the headlines of earth may tempt us to consider our efforts as worthless, but the headlines of heaven are always the same. Amen. The nations rage, but he who sits enthroned in heaven laughs. Psalm 2. And he must reign until all of his enemies become a footstool for his feet. 1 Corinthians 15. And part of faith is trusting that this is always true, even when current events seem to deny it. And by God's mercy, he preserved our very young church. And we heard in early November that the war is now over. A peace agreement has been signed. But in this experience, it taught us something. We are frail. We are weak. Our efforts for Christ and his kingdom will only be successful if God is so kind to prosper them. This also, our present experiences do not dictate the success of Christ's kingdom for the world. Our present experiences do not dictate God's ultimate plans and purposes for the world. And so often we just tend to look directly at what's in front of us and go judge God's ultimate ends by that current trial or experience. My friends, our names will soon fade into the history books and be forgotten, but the name of Christ will stand. Difficulties will come, but Christ will keep us through them all because he has promised that we are precious to him. He has shed our his blood for him. And part of faith... <coughs> is looking to the promises of God and trusting God is working to make good on those promises, even when all the evidence says no. So what do we do? We look beyond our own circumstances to the promises of God. And as we do, we work faithfully and we wait patiently. In the short time we have left, let me encourage you to start doing that here. If you want to know where God is at work in this world, look no further than the brother and sister sitting in the pew next to you. And as we work faithfully and wait patiently in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, you are working faithfully and waiting patiently right here. And God is no less pleased with your work than he is with ours. And as you work faithfully and wait patiently here, would you please work faithfully and wait patiently alongside us? Would you pray for us? Would you pray for us? I'd love to give you three prayer requests as we end. Please pray for us that God would do these three things in the next decade. Number one, we want to see Trinity Fellowship pastored by an all-Ethiopian elder team. Because we believe 
The Ethiopians are best equipped to pastor Ethiopia. Number two, we want to see the Trinity Fellowship Pastors College run completely by Ethiopians in the next decade. Number three, we want to see ten churches planted out of Trinity Fellowship in the next decade. Would you please pray for us to that end? I pray that we'll be sending out graduates from our pastor's college and planting more churches 500 years from now. We're building for that. So work faithfully, wait patiently alongside us because one day the prayers that we are praying, your kingdom come, will turn into the joyful celebration. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And let us work knowing that one day we will no longer be working, we'll be resting. And let us wait, knowing that one day we will no longer be waiting, but we will see face to face, because one day the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the city built not upon blood and iniquity, but upon the blood and righteousness of Christ, it will descend. All will be made right. Striving will be over. And the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this wonderful, precious promise. Would you give us the grace we need to believe it in our dark times and to work faithfully for the progress of your kingdom? Yes. Thank you that you are sovereign and in your sovereignty you are good. You desire good and you do good. Yes. Give us the faith we need to trust that. Give us the faith we need to need. Yes. Thank you for your glorious gospel. Christ has died for our sins and reconciled us to you and brought us into that wonderful mission. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Church, let's stand together. We're going we're to respond to this by singing to the Lord. But before we do that, I, wanna, I want us to pray right now for the church in Ethiopia. Yes. The three requests, particularly that Josh asked for. So if, even if you want to extend your hand up here, I'm going to lay hands on Josh. And let's go to the Lord together and ask that he would do this. So, Lord, uh, we are so grateful that you will win, that your kingdom will cover this world. But, Lord, we pray that that would happen in specific ways in the near term in Ethiopia. Lord, thank you for the work that's going on there. We ask that you would raise up pastors for this new church from amongst the Ethiopians that it would be an Ethiopian-led church proclaiming the gospel in their community. Lord, we pray for the pastor's college, which obviously right now Josh is leading. We pray that you would kick him out of this job by raising up Ethiopian men to lead this pastor's college. And what a journey that is, getting through the education on one side, and also, Lord, the working of character that it takes. Lord, would you do that? so that this pastor's college would stand after Josh leaves. Um, and then, Lord, we ask that there would be churches planted across Addis Ababa and then into Somalia and surrounding countries. Uh, Lord, through graduates of this pastor's college, we pray for 10 churches to be planted and to grow and to be healthy. And, Lord, that in this way, your kingdom would continue to come and the knowledge of the glory of God would be made known even more there than it is right now. And Lord, would you do so here?
we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.